attracting the right IT leader to the right position starts with a great description. Go to our website and download the descriptions we've written with some sizzle. Everyone's thinking generative AI is going to change the world, and it probably will in many ways. Five years ago, maybe it was applicable to this group, but five years further on, maybe there's opportunity to take that and take those models and use it on a broader scale across the rest of the organization. I think it's raised a lot of healthy discussions. In the coming years, I think we're going to see a lot of changes to how we do our work based on AI. But again, to me, it's not going to remove the human in most cases. Hi, my name is Steve Swan. I'm the host of Biotech Bites, where we chat with IT leaders within biotech about their thoughts and feelings around some of the current trends within technology. And today I have the honor of having Bob McGowan, the CIO of Regeneron, on as my guest. And thank you, Bob, for being with us. Thanks, Steve, for inviting me on. I'm looking forward to having a good discussion. Sure thing. Sure thing. So, you know, I'm just going to get right into it. You know, um, lots of folks now, what they want to talk about is AI. You know, it's really, um, it's in the headlines. It's everywhere. Business leaders, technology leaders, everybody's talking about it. So I think maybe I'll just uh, give you a, a wide question. What are your thoughts and feelings around AI? And how it applies to our industry right now? I think um, it almost feels like AI was born 12 months ago to listen to the to some of the press and the way it's being promoted. And I think it's uh, at, at sort of maximum hype. Now, I do believe there's absolutely value there. And in fact, um, uh, within our own organization, we use AI a lot and have been doing for many years. I've actually uh, won a number of awards related to it. But but I think what you have to do is, is strip back the question about AI to what what is it you're actually talking about? And, and I think you have to go back to now, what's the question you're asking? What data do you have to answer that question? And then what's the right technology? And in some cases, AI is a great uh, assist. Um, in other cases, there's many great tools out there that uh, will do the job just as well, if not better, and a lot less cost. So, so I think uh, it's worth taking a look at, but you should come at it from the perspective of what's the problem you're trying to solve rather than how can I use AI? I mean, if you're just out there looking to use AI, probably the wrong approach. Okay. Well, so you just talked about the data, right? So, I mean, you know, you're only as good as your inputs. And, you know, a lot of folks are talking to me about their data and their inputs, you know, of their data that goes into AI. But then they're also talking to me about, you know, AIs maybe will sit in IT and not in business. And a lot of the data sits in business, right? So, is there a, I don't know, is there a push and pull there? Is there something we need to think about or something that we need to address or, you know, I don't know. So it's all about the data. Um, I mean, the quality of your output from AI, and, and again, going back, redefining what you mean, it is all about the quality of the input. And I, and I think that um, not a discussion about where it sits doesn't really add value these days. In, fa in fact, uh, from an IT perspective these days, the way I think about it is, IT is there to enable the technologies, to make it available to those subject matter experts that really understand now the business process or the scientific process or clinical process. And it's a, it's a true partnership. Uh, but having a discussion, should it sit in the business or should it sit in an IT team or should it be federated or, or um, centralized? It doesn't really matter. The key is getting the right data of the right quality in a way that can be consumed with the right uh, scientific leadership or you know, business leadership to answer the problems that they're trying to 
uh, address or to solve the problems they're trying to address. So, so I think it's more about coming at it from a, it's another tool in the toolkit. It's um, AI is very broad. So bring it back to, are you trying to solve an imaging issue? Are you trying to solve a analytical issue? Are you trying to solve maybe just a simple productivity issue with um, some of the co-pilots? And then based on that, that will lead you towards what's the best way to actually deliver the uh, capability. Right. And can it really do it? You just mentioned co-pilots, right? I mean, when I think of co-pilots, whether you meant this or not, you know, AI assists humans, right? It's our co-pilot. It's a human co-pilot, you know, and that's I I don't think it's any coincidence. That's why Microsoft named theirs co-pilot, correct? I I suspect so. And and, um, I mean, to me, the humans always going to be involved in AI, certainly in our industry. I mean, highly regulated. Everything has to be explainable. No, you just can't. For most things, you just can't take it at face value and say, yep, we're done. You need to know where the data's come from that's allowed it to make those, uh, present that data for you to make your your, uh, decisions. But the human absolutely has to be part of it. I I think this is where almost segmenting AI into what is it you're trying to achieve lets you look at it through a slightly different lens. So if I think about our organization, we have enabled um, generative AI with the approach being we're an innovative organization. So let's expose it to everyone, find out what they're doing with it, take those use cases, play it back, share it with others, stimulate other ideas and, and get productivity gains. And some of those may be driven by things like co-pilots where you get an email from someone and you can say, okay, hey, can you turn this into a slide for uh, PowerPoint for me? Or vice versa, you get a PowerPoint slide and you say, hey, there's really good information in here. Can you convert it into two or three bullet points for me? And those type of productivity gains for, let's say, knowledge workers, old term, but let's call them knowledge workers. Uh, you could apply that through thousands of people across the organization. So a little bit of productivity times thousands of people adds up to huge productivity. I think often where we go to when we think about um AI is is the more broader use case where you're going to use it for some sort of breakthrough discovery or you're going to use it for some deep um, analytical purpose. And I think there you're usually dealing with a lot fewer people with a lot more refined data. The level of effort to get the value out of it is going to take a lot more effort, but the value could be extremely large. But how you approach it is going to be very different. And I think that's what you have to do is segment it. Again, look at what it is you're trying to achieve, but recognize there's value in that whole spectrum. So is there going to be, maybe there isn't yet, but do you envision an AI COE in some of these organizations? Like there's a separate AI function or is it embedded in the business or is it embedded in IT or is it just kind of everywhere? I think it's a lot of, it's it's like a lot of the technologies. I think uh, there can be, benefit in the COE in terms of building the architecture of how you're going to enable those solutions. But I think it would be wrong to try and create a COE just for AI, certainly in our industry. It's a tool. And now if you created a a COE for this, now why wouldn't you do that for a bunch of other things? There is some benefits to it, but how you think about it and how it gets embedded, I think is going to determine where it sits uh, it's the same. I mean, I'm, I'm a CIO today, and the definition of a CIO 
depending which organization you go to, is all over the place. Now you get CIOs and CDOs and CDOs and CDIOs and it doesn't really matter. I think it comes down to if you are delivering service, if you are trying to drive innovation, you've got to get your input from your business partners, from external sources. You've got to bring the right people together. And ultimately, you've got to architect a solution and where it sits and how it's controlled. I mean, I'd like to say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But for the most part, it's just look at your organization, do what's right by that organization and put it in the right location. And, and it can evolve. So, I mean, COEs are a good way at times to um, create the momentum, uh, but sometimes it's not the right way to sustain it. So I, I, I think AI at this stage um, is a tool. It's a very powerful tool. But if you, to me, if you create that COE beyond just the enablement side of it, you're limiting potentially the possibilities. All right. Makes sense. Now, I, I, I think that, so I'm going to pivot a little bit here, right, with you. So what I, if, if I'm sitting in a small biotech right now, right, and I'm listening to Bob, right, I know that Bob started at Regeneron when it was a lot smaller company, and we have ambitions of getting there, right, my, my Steve Swan biotech, right? Yeah. What are some of the things that you would say or that you could, thoughts and feelings that you would say that of things that, you know, I don't know, that I should be thinking about, you know, to make my life easier? six, seven, eight, 10 years down the road? Is there something that you would say, well, you know, you should be thinking about this or maybe you shouldn't think about that or this gets a little too much attention or that doesn't get enough attention. Any advice, anything you'd give me? I think it's going, first of all, it's listening to the experts within your organization. I mean, um, what we do is very complicated. You've got, you got to trust and rely on each other. But it, it, I think from an IT perspective, I mentioned earlier, it all comes down to the data. But the data is typically generated and go through as a workflow. So if you go back and look at that and you understand now what data is being brought into the organization, now what data is being generated, how it's being viewed, how it's connected to other data in that work stream, I, I think if you look at it from that perspective, then what you can start seeing is, okay, where's the opportunity to use some of these tools to um, maybe accelerate that process? And maybe that's good enough. An example might be, uh, imaging. I mean, if you're creating lots of imaging and you're trying to figure out what's going on, uh, now AI or ML is fantastic for that. And so you could totally accelerate that or even go deeper into the interpretation of the imaging. Um, and then I think if you look at other parts of the work stream, maybe it's uh, that deep analytic, uh, analytics where you're trying to uh, hypothesize different outcomes based on the data. But But I think you have to go back to now, what is your process? What is it you're trying to get at the far end? And now, what are all those steps in between? And then what's the data generated to take you through through those steps and maybe look back uh, a number of times? And, and that will tell you where to apply AI. That's how I think of it. Now, I know other organizations, and they're maybe in different fields, they're looking at AI to build, um, uh, let's say, a technology platform to help accelerate and that's fine. I mean, that's a good business model. That's their business model, but that's not what we do. We're into uh, scientific discovery. So the way we're thinking about it is how do these tools help scientific discovery? Now, you can extend that to how can they help with quality of manufacturing or how they can help with um, uh, onboarding for trials and execution of trials. But it all comes back to what's our reason for being. It's 
for medical discoveries, to get products to patients to help them. And, and so we, we look at it through that lens. Is there one thing that you wish you knew back then that you know today that would have been something great to know that you, that it would have, you know, made your life easier today, I, I, eight years later. And I'm not, I'm not talking, I don't, no, I don't no, need, no, I, I we mean, don't need to get into a psychotherapy session. I'm just talking <laughs> business and IT. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, it's a great question. I, I, I think it goes back to the data. I mean, there's a lot of focus today on uh, fair data, now findable, accessible, interoperable, reusable, not all those terms. I mean, if, if people had been thinking about that data and that data flow all those years ago, um, Okay. It would be much more ready for a lot of the deep business analytics. It would be much more ready for potentially some of the learning that needs to take place. But I think even before that, it would also help uh, facilitate with now the growth of computational capabilities and storage capabilities and integration capabilities. You can connect it much more so you can start asking and potentially answering much more complex questions. So it goes back to... Uh, I mean, it's, it's all about the data. So now if we had started thinking about our data 30 years ago, it would be much easier to actually learn from it now. Whereas a lot of the tools today are going back and saying, okay, how can you revisit that data, look at it through a different light, integrate it with existing data, and I'll bring it forward into where we are today. I mean, so much of, of uh, IT um, effort goes into um, managing, connecting that data. We, we, we've been really fortunate in some ways at Regeneron in that um, our cloud journey was a little, little slow to get going, but we leaned into it probably, I want to say, five years ago and completely modernized um, uh, how we manage our data flows. We, we've designed it for scalability. We've designed it for integration. And uh, having done that, it's, it's paying dividends. It really is paying dividends. Now, we've got a lot of historical data. Uh, that we still have to solve for, but I, I, I think um, now we, we've been fortunate in that we did a really heavy lift of um, going to the cloud, modernizing, getting our data in there, and it, it really has been uh, paying dividends for us. So get that data ready is, 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 the, the, data is ready. the piece of advice. Yeah. 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 Can't ever be too ready with the data. No. I, I, I run into so many companies and I talk to so many leaders where, you know, they get their shiny object, right? They get their IA, their AI rather, their tools. Da, da, da. And, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 months later, they're like, well, I don't think our data was ready for this. So now they're, 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 they're going back. Like you just said, they're going all the way back. And what do they do with all that technology they built? What good is it without, you know, the gas that goes in the engine effectively, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, the data. I think it's, uh, I mean, it is challenging, but sometimes you just have to go slow to go fast. And, and so you have to, sort of pause and um, because sometimes these technologies are hyped so much that you absolutely know there's value, but if you race into it too quickly, what you find is you spend all your time uh, reworking it and redoing it. And, and so I think it's, it's better to actually take a pause, make sure you're asking the right questions, uh, figuring out if the technology is ready or not. And in some cases from a, technology perspective, I'll get my team involved in it, but it's at times an investment for the future where we're either ruling it in or ruling it out. And so what we're saying is, okay, great technology here. Is it going to bring value to us as an organization? We won't know that unless we invest a little bit of time in it. We will do that. 
in many cases, absolutely, and we lean in and move forward. In other cases, we have built a capability. We know enough to know what good looks like. We know enough to know when it's ready. But we might just put that on the shelf and say, good technology, but not for us, not now. Um, I mean, a, a good example of that is quantum computing. I mean, we, we've taken a look at that. Uh, we've, um, I, I do believe that's going to be a game changer in years to come. But it's going to affect different industries at different paces. Uh, but we've taken a look at that, and it's something that ultimately I do think is going to be highly impactful. Uh, but the reality is when you're developing a drug and it's going to take you, let's say, five, six, seven years, if all you're going to do is analyze something and do it in uh, 15 minutes versus it's going to take you four hours in more traditional computing, is that really worth all the effort to put into it right there, right now? Now, I do think as it evolves and as it becomes more stable and more mainstream, it, it, there's, a, there's a place for it. But that's an example where we try and, and look at those technologies, figure out where it makes sense, and then either move forward with it or put it on the shelf. And there's a, there's, there's a lot out there. But if you try and tackle everything, uh, you're going to lose focus on your goal there is to support the business and actually help the whole business move forward. It's not to, not to play around with technology itself. And one, one person made the analogy that we're really in the like real beginning stages. He's like, we're rubbing sticks together here to create fire, but we all got to learn how to crawl before we walk. Right. And so we'll get there. You know, I mean, that, that's that's where we are. And, you know, another person mentioned to me that with, you know, chat GPT, even, you know, to, to, to kind of pivot to that a little bit. You know, that's that's something that we've all got to watch. And do we leave it on or do we leave it off right inside the corp corporation? Yeah. If you leave it off, people are going to be doing it on the side. If you leave it on, you got to be careful. You know, you don't want any of your formulas or anything getting out there. Somebody right. that I was talking to actually spotted something from another company that they knew, screenshotted it and sent it off to that CIO. I mean, yeah, you not, knew it was going to happen, not a good, right? Not a good situation. No, I, I agree. But it goes back to what I was saying. If you if you pause enough to think through the repercussions, then what you can do, and, and this is what we did, was we figured out how do we expose our users, um, our, no, our, our staff essentially to get access to it, but protect the data so that it stays within our walls. So we architected the solution to say, um, no, go look at your existing policies, go look at your existing regulations, behaviors. It's all about controlling data. Data going out on AI is no difference from data going out on other solutions, so same discipline. But what we did was architected it with uh, guardrails, and we have some monitoring going on to check and balance. Um, and then we look at how people are using it and, and figure out, okay, is what we've done good enough, or is there maybe risks evolving that we hadn't thought about? But no, right out of the gate, we, we, we started thinking about um, what could go wrong, Let's make sure we tackle that before we lean into it um, uh, too far and too fast. Um, I don't. I don't think shutting it down is a solution for anyone. There's so. I mean, think about it. There's nothing you do on a daily basis that probably doesn't involve an AI solution somewhere. Whether it be you're getting a letter in the post and it's checking your postcode for you, or I mean, you, your your fridges these days are telling you when you need to order your milk. I mean, it's just embedded everywhere. And I know they're sort of trivial um, examples, but the reality is if you try and block it, there's another 10 areas where it's going to pop up and it could be in um, one of your existing software solutions where it's embedded. 
It could be a new software as a service solution. It, it, it's coming into the environment. So rather than try and stop it, you need to understand it. And then what you have to do is train and educate your users and put enough guardrails and enough checks and balances that you protect your data and protect your IP and protect you know, what it is that makes your company great so that you don't inadvertently expose it or expose uh, PII or other information that shouldn't go out there. Now, is I, I've asked other folks this, is, and you've been doing this for a long time with AI, is AI, uh, does it fall in an innovation budget? Does it, or will it, or is that something, again, I'm, I'm kind of going back to the COE concept, you know, um, being AI being separate. Would AI, do you think, end up being its own funding budget or is it in an innovation budget or is it just in an operations? You know, how, how do you, or I guess it depends on the organization, huh? My mind just went there as you were talking. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why. For us, it's organizational. So if, um, uh, okay. I mean, some of the scientists have come to us in the past with white papers about theoretical way of mm -hmm. looking at um, some visible particles, for example. And, and so to us, that's just a project and the, uh, ML engine, the AI aspect of it, is just another tool. So it's funded as part of research. And no, we, we don't look at it that we have a budget for AI. Um, now, within the IT budget, what I will do is, is take some of my funding and say, look, we've got to build those um, controls. We've got to build the architecture to enable it. So we'll invest there. But that's more investing in the infrastructure and the, the governance side of it and the policy side of it. But when it comes to how it's going to be used, that's driven by what the business needs, what they want, what the opportunities are. And, and no, absolutely, uh, the IT teams can bring those ideas forward. And we often do. We'll, we'll, we'll say, hey, are you looking at what's happening out there in, in um, you know, the, the big world? And maybe there's something we should look at. So we partner and uh, explore some of those ideas. But, but it is driven based on um, you know, what our scientific and business users want to do. And it's their, it's their budget. I mean, they, they, at the end of the day, they have to be just uh, held accountable for their output. And therefore, they're the ones we're working with to prioritize, decide how do they want to spend their dollars and where do they want to spend it. Right. And you're an enabling function for them to get them to where they want to go, right? We, we will help enable it. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, and what, what I find or what I hear folks talking about, right, R&D side, commercial slash marketing side, those are kind of the two. Right. Big areas right now. If we just have to make it, you know, broad, paint it with a broad brush, right? You know, that that's kind of what I'm hearing now, for at least for now, right? And why not? Yeah, and I, I think, um, I mean, some of the tools we have on the commercial side, that uh, again, they have this built-in next best action you now in terms of following up with a health provider. Now, wherever you are in commercial, whatever industry, those type of capabilities are being built in. Uh, so, so I think. Uh, now, again, if you bring it back to it's a very powerful capability, but it's only as powerful as the organization um, uh, that is trying to utilize it. And it goes back to the questions they're trying to answer. Um, so I, I think that's how I think about it. I think part of, unfortunately, part of the job that we have that I'm hearing more about within IT is managing the expectations, right? Because like we just said earlier, you know, there's a lot of hype around it. You know, there's a lot of talk about it. And sometimes certain folks in the business will be like, hey, I just read about this. Let's do this. And it's, we're not ready there. Or we're not there. We don't have that capability. Or the data can't get us, you know, whatever that it might be, you know. I mean, it, it, it is. But again, it's, it's, it's um, I mean, go back four or five years ago, robotic process automation. 
it was the same. Uh, you know, everyone wanted to do robotic process automation, and you'd sit down with people and say, well, you know, we can do this, and it's going to save you uh, an hour a week. Is it really worth it? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think it's a little bit like this. So you, you have to qualify and question and, and, and you know, partner to get to the point of getting people to really understand that nothing's for free. Everything's a trade-off. And so if you're going to put effort into this, you want to really make sure that it's worth it. And now, again, in our space, it's, yep, you could do wonderful mathematical modeling. Uh, but sometimes going into the lab and doing the experiment is absolutely the only way to do it and the right way to do it and maybe the most cost-effective way of doing it. So, so I think it comes back to just pressure testing. Um, is there truly a need here for it? And uh I think if you stay on that path, uh, no, you, you, you'll stay pretty honest with yourself. Yeah, I was just chatting with a guy the other day who uh, kind of dovetailing off what you just said. One of his use cases, he said he's trying to build out for AI is, is using uh, natural language model, NLM, right? Yeah. And his scientists can then actually say, show me any work we've done in the past on I don't know, researching uh, Steve Swan's boo-boo on his finger kind of thing, you know? So, and then it can pull up all their data or experiments that they have on that, which is, that's got to be a huge time saver, right? If you've already done that kind of work, I would it, think. But, it it is. And it's, it's a very common use case within our industry because um, there's so much reading and research and often it's um, revisiting perhaps research you may have looked at 10 years ago where things were no not possible, whereas now with the technologies, right. maybe there is opportunity. But the data's got to be right. So I think if you go too broad, um, you could end up just chasing your tail, whereas if you bring it back to, let's say, um, a particular therapeutic area and say, okay, everything we have in-house, we are going to train a model on that. And um, you could think of it almost as smart search engine uh, it's a little bit more than that um and if you did that and you started getting value then you could look and say okay where else do we go or you could look and say okay well how do we augment this even further so now we've got our internal data which we trust do we have trusted sources of external data that we want to add to it and then through the training education and modeling you can set these up to say okay i'm asking a question of uh real world data or I'm asking a question of our company only data, or I'm asking a question of our data plus trusted sources that are verifiable. And I think you can build out those type of capabilities. Um, it's, a, it's a really good case. And I think um, it's one of the, the simpler and potentially highly impactful use cases um, that we, we, we uh, all should be looking at. Well, then going off what you were saying earlier, you've really got to trust that real world data. If it's not just your data and it's everybody's data or whatever, real world data, you got to have a great source for that. Well, if it's, right? if it's on the internet, it must be true, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. That's and perfect. I think you have to be a skeptic um, of everything you get uh, unless you know exactly where it's come from and um, how it was generated and whether or not it's been pressure tested or not. But I, I, having, I think having that skepticism keeps, keeps, you, keeps it healthy and keeps you out of trouble. Um, but the level of skepticism, the level of checking depends on the use case. Again, if you're if you're going to say, hey, I want to take this email and make a few bullet points, it's, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm trivializing it, but who cares? Whereas if you're saying, okay, I want to analyze this data related to some uh, medical condition, 
you, you want to know that what you're looking at is you know, totally verifiable and you can go back and check it. Um, so, so again, it comes back to those use cases and, and thinking through. I, I think it comes down to you've got you've got to engage your you know, your brain when you're using these tools as you as you do anything, um, perhaps a little bit more, and never get complacent that just because you get an answer you you can you know you can run with it. Depending on what you're doing, you might need to question that and determine whether or not it's really true or not. Well, like any good IT department, right? You've got to get really to the root of what folks are looking for. And- Sometimes they don't know exactly what they're looking for, so you really got to help them get to that, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's. that's I mean, that's it, it's right it's. Um, I mean, generative AI really has brought a lot of attention to AI in general, and I and I think that's a good thing because it's like a lot of technologies. Um, we deliver on projects uh, within our industry, but often we don't take it and say, okay, how do we leverage this across uh, on a much broader scale? We, we can sometimes get caught up on, okay, go solve the next problem. And, and I think what this has allowed us to do is go back and, and say, okay, look, everyone's thinking generative AI is going to change the world, and it probably will in many ways. Uh, but it's allowed us to go back and say, well, what are we already doing? And is there value there? And is there value, uh, now, five years ago, maybe it was applicable to this group, but five years further on, maybe there's opportunity to take that and take those models and use it on a broader scale across the rest of the organization. So I, th- I think it's uh, it's raised a lot of healthy discussions, and um, uh, in the coming years, I, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, changes to, to how we do our work based on AI. But but again, it's to me, it's it's not going to remove the, the human in most cases. No, I, I agree with you, and everything I'm hearing and seeing saying the exact same thing. You know, so it's well, we we we've covered you know AI and all the things surrounding that. Is there anything else you think we should cover that we haven't hit on um, that you'd like to share, you know, that you think folks might might want to hear about or learn about? Well, I, I think AI is a good example of, um, if you look at the job wrecks out there, everyone's looking for uh, AI experts. Everyone. And, Everyone. Um, when you read the definitions of them, I'm not really sure they know what they're asking for in many cases. In other areas, it's uh, they've got fantastic definitions and there's real clarity and you can say, okay, these organizations are going after a certain area and you can almost read it into the job descriptions. But it also goes back to just analytics. I mean, you, th- you think about years ago, in fact, not even years ago, 12 months ago, it was, um, no, you needed resources to do your uh, deep analytical work. And um, cybersecurity is another area. There's not enough cybersecurity experts. And, and so I think with these technologies, it, it's it's reinforcing that as an organization, you have to create an ability to grow skills from within. Yes, you can supplement it from outside, but if you are always relying on experts coming from the outside, I think um, you're, you've got a losing game. And, and so this, this is where you've got to think through about how do you use the opportunities and the projects to expose people to these technologies? How do you build... Um, the capabilities internally and create a learning type of organization where uh, no, a, a resource perhaps that perhaps that you have today, two years from now, they're going to be deep into um, deep learning support for scientific space. So how do you get your staff to go there? And I, and I think that's a big opportunity. The shortcut is go and buy it. I think the longer, longer term game is create that environment 
and hire the type of people that are um, good at dealing with ambiguity. They're able, uh, agile enough to uh, relearn and um, almost unlearn and relearn again and create that type of team that can do that. And I think that's an opportunity and AI is sort of reinforcing that. Uh, you're not going to buy your way out of this. You need to have a team and you need to invest in your team and you need to trust your team and um, continually have them learn. You got to have curious people that want to learn, it sounds like. And then you got to have the training to get them to, to to fill that void, right? If they're curious, there's a void somewhere. Yep. So fill that void with, with the training, right? And sometimes the training isn't there. I mean, a lot of the vendors right. uh, are promoting support and capabilities and it's a great way to tap into it. But you find that in many cases they're on the same journey. And, and so sure. when you recognize that, you, you can start thinking about, okay, well, how do you create your own journey and how do you create your own learning opportunities? Um, I mean, our industry is very innovative. I think uh, you know, often um, failures are celebrated because you've discovered something maybe. Um, and, and I think you have to almost embrace that type of attitude where you have to accept that there are going to be some failures. But if you don't try, you're not going to be able to uh, develop and grow where you need to go. And, and so some of it is uh, trusting your people to take on these big challenges and um, learn on their own and then share their learning and bring other people around uh, along for that journey. And also stay connected to uh, external um, organizations and opportunities and, and recognize you can learn from them as well. But it, 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 is, it is a mindset. It's changing that mindset. You're not coming in here uh, to, to fill the job based on that job description. It's much about as that's the immediate need, but you're hiring people that maybe are going to fill a totally different job description two years from now, but you hope you can grow them into that or they'll grow into that or even they'll drag you and the rest of the organization into that. I like the don't reprimand. Well, you didn't say this. I'm saying this. So don't reprimand the failures. Celebrate the failures, right? With a certain amount of. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, if someone's failing every other day, there's a problem there. But I think. Right. That's a problem. But, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think that um, managed and controlled um, approach where. Yeah. If you can understand, okay, uh, if the failure gives you a result that you know, okay, you're not going to go down that route, you've learned something. Now, but it's got to right. be manageable. It's got to be controlled. Uh, but yeah, I, I think sometimes we're too, we can be too harsh to focus on the failure rather than focus on, okay, what did we discover from it? And um, uh, again, it's a little bit of a mindset change um, for, for sure. organizations. Okay. One last thing before I let you go, because I know you probably got to run and I'm asking everybody this at the end of the podcast. Sure. Didn't mention this to you at all. What has been, this is totally off the wall, Bob, your favorite live concert you've ever been to? Uh, On the spot. So, <laughs> and this, Do you even like live music? So this like live is music? actually top, top of mind. And it actually goes back to when I was a kid and it was one of the first concerts I went to. And it's a group many people will not have heard of stiff little fingers and no. it, it was during the punk era in northern ireland and i grew up at a time when we had what was called the troubles uh, but a lot of the punk bands back then were teenagers sort of kicking back on the um society and also on the politics at the time and just saying look let's just get on with it let's just live together but the music um 
was well, it was punk, so it was it was so, sort of high energy. But that was one of those concerts that uh, I remember for for lots of different reasons. Um, I'm not quite sure why it popped into my head, but yeah, look them up, stiff fingers. Uh, yeah, I'm going to. I'm definitely going to. Yeah, no, that's all good stuff. Well, thank you very much for being with us. I appreciate your time. No, nope, I enjoyed it. Bye.